Shabbat Shalom, everybody. Okay. Ouch. I just, oh, that really hurt. I got to leave. I'm sorry. They're killing me. Get out. Pointy. All right. <laughs> okay. To be perfectly honest. Okay. So, you know, how many of you have ever heard this phrase before? Haven't we? We've all heard this phrase, right? To be perfectly honest. And uh, we don't think much of it when people have a conversation with us. But I want to share something. I want to share a little something I saw in the newspaper the other day, uh, which analyzes this phrase for us just a little bit. Okay? Okay, there we go. Now, I hope you can read this, but if you can't, I'll read it for you. So, this is the Dilbert Comics comic strip, which is really fantastic. It has lots of funny things to say about life. And uh, listen to this one. So, it says, so, his boss says to him, he says, be, well, to be perfectly honest. And then Dilbert catches that phrase in his mind. We always go right past it. But he catches it this time, and he says, wait. Why do you need to say you're being perfectly honest in this particular case? I'm going to read it from my own because I can't barely read it from there. It says, he says, you're implying that you've lied to me so often in the past that this one instance of honesty is noteworthy. That's tantamount to admitting you have no respect for me as a human being. And you don't even have the decency to hide your evil in competent fashion. You think I'm such an idiot that I wouldn't notice your verbal assault on my intelligence? Okay. Let's hear the one honest thing you have ever told me. Go ahead. And then he's thinking to it, the boss is thinking to himself, this is going to be the easiest lie I ever told. <laughs> You know, we, we sit there and we think about, about these figures of speech. And you wonder about where they come from. You know, what does it mean if you say, uh, right now I'm going to be perfectly honest with you. Does that mean that you're not honest all the time? And what does it mean to be honest all the time, to speak the truth all the time? You know, I've been thinking about that, and, and I was thinking about it in light of something that the Messiah said. He does it in the context of making vows in the, in the, in the Sermon on the Mount, do you remember? He's really talking about vows, but he's talking about speech too, I think. And so he says, he says, uh, again, you've heard that the ancients were told, you shall not make false vows, but fulfill your vows to the Lord. But I say to you, make no oath at all. Don't swear at all, either by heaven or, or, or for it is the throne of God, or by the earth for it is the footstool of his feet, or by Jerusalem for it is the city of the great king. Nor shall you make an oath by your head, for you can't make one hair white or black. Yeah, you can't make one grow back either. But you, let your statement be yes, let your yes be yes, and your no, no. And he says, anything beyond these is from evil. So that gives, you, gives me pause to think about honest speech. 
You know? What is honest speech, and how far does honest speech go? You know, the tongue is a fire, it says in the letter of James. We do more, da- more damage, more evil things have been done with one, our mouths than with all of the bullets that have ever been fired. And that's a reality. I don't need to document the history of the world in order to demonstrate that. I think we've all experienced it even in our own lives to some extent. And so, there's a lot said in the scriptures about speech and about doing, saying the right thing, being honest. Now here Messiah Yeshua tells us, just let your yes be yes and your no, no. You know, just let everybody know that whatever comes out of your mouth is the, is the God's honest truth. Right? So that's, that seems straightforward. We can end this lesson right here. Just tell the truth all the time and that'll be the end of it. Okay? So, for instance, number 28 of the 613 mitzvot, if you ever have ever seen an orderly outlining of the 613 mitzvot that the rabbis have deduced, number 28 is not to wrong anyone in speech. So now this is a curious thing, because now, is it possible that by telling you the truth, I might violate this mitzvah? Is that possible? You know, after all, to be perfectly honest, such and such and such. You know, I have to be perfectly honest with you today. <laughs> you know, every time somebody says that to me, I get, you know, do you get nervous when people say that to you? Because I, I kind of do. You know, <laughs> usually, it's usually not a good thing, right? But here we have a, a, a sort of subtle arrangement. And by the way, this comes straight from out of Leviticus, really, out of of Torah, okay? That we are not to wrong anyone in speech. So now, if I walk up to you and say, you're looking a little chubby today, I may have have spoken the truth, but would that fulfill this mitzvah? I told the truth, after all. You know, how could I be wrong if I tell the truth? And yet you see the subtlety that there is in Torah in regard to this organ over here. Because all of us are sensitive. We are, you know, we're human beings. And we need people to be nice. (laughs) I mean, and so, but that, does that mean we should lie? So that, you know, now we're back to the other side of this equation. You get where I'm going with this? I mean, it's complicated. You know, should that mean, should I lie and say, oh, you're looking, you know, pleasantly plump today, you know. <laughs> you, you, I'm trying to moderate my speech here. You know, so should I lie in order to not wrong you. And if I lie, even a little one, am I wronging you anyway? I mean, you know, oy vey, now my brain is starting to fall apart. Right? I'm having a really hard time. So, we have to understand, though, see, so we have this very difficult equation that we have to, we have to somehow modify. Because the right speech can create life 
or it can create death. And so there's a saying, right, um, in, in Judaism, if I get there. And the guys have left me alone, and they're not there. And now it doesn't want to change. See, that's why the guys, can't, the guys behind the booth can't leave. <laughs> they're not teenagers, they're workers. Okay, there we go. So it says, so Lashon Hara, which is, means evil speech in Judaism. Lashon Hara means evil tongue. Lashon is a tongue. And so evil speech, it says, kills three people. And this is absolutely true. Lashon Hara, evil speech, kills three people. It kills the one who spoke it. There she is right there with her hand up on her mouth, thinking no, she's hiding it. And then the one of whom it was spoken, you see that poor lad in the background. But it also kills the one who heard it. So before you decide you're going to shed some gossip on somebody else, remember the person you're giving that gossip to. You just killed them. You may have had a grudge against the person to, against whom you were speaking, but did you have a grudge against the person to whom you were saying it? Because the reality is you killed that person too. They are forever stained with that. It's a very serious thing. Oy vey. This is so complicated. I don't know when I should lie and when I should tell the truth. You know? What's, what is the right thing to do? So we often think that uh, even in lying, uh, or what we would call little white lies are a good way to deal with one another after all. Because, you know, you don't want to insult anybody and sometimes it's better not to let somebody know exactly what you're thinking or whatever, right? So little white lies can sometimes be helpful, right? So I have a little story about little white lies that I'll share with you. Now, in Judaism, uh, we have a tradition that Aaron, the brother of Moses, was a great peacemaker. He would do whatever he could to avoid arguments between people. And sometimes he would employ the little white lie thing. <laughs> okay? So here's a story of him implying the little white. This comes from, from uh, uh, the Fathers According to Rabbi Nathan, which is uh, just a collection of Midrashim. A story about Aaron, right? So it says, When two men had quarreled, Aaron would go and sit with one of them and say, my son, see what your friend is doing? He beats his breast and tears his clothes and moans, Woe is me! How can I lift my eyes and look my companion in the face? I'm ashamed before him, since it is I who treated him so badly. Aaron would sit with him until he had removed all his anger from his heart. And then it says, Aaron would then go and sit with the other man, and say, likewise, my son, see what your friend is doing. He beats his breast and tears his clothes and moans, woe is me. How can I face my, lift my eyes and look at my companion in the face? I'm ashamed be, before him since it was I who offended him. Aaron would sit with him also until he had removed all anger from his heart. And later on, when the two men met, they would embrace and kiss each other. So there's a nice little white lie that doesn't work often, Right? Now, it's idealized because, okay, so Aaron lied. He said, listen, he's sorry, 
and he went to the other guy and said, the other guy is sorry. So like, now you guys can get together. And of course, you know, what, ha- what probably happens is I walk up to the guy and I say, so thank goodness you apologized. Wait a minute, I didn't apologize, you apologized. And you wind up with a fight anyway. So obviously little white lies, while they may work sometimes, they don't always work. And sometimes you make the situation even worse than it was, right? So that means we have to come up, wow, so now I am totally confused. Like, you know, I can't use the white lie reliably. I can't tell the truth. But the Messiah demands that I say it, it's, speak the truth. And yet Torah says, I'm not supposed to hurt anybody with my speech. My, my, my brain is racked. Maybe the best thing for me to do is just keep my mouth shut. Sew my tongue to the, to, to the top of my mouth and then I won't have to worry about ever hurting anybody with what I say. Well, that doesn't sound very practical either, does it? I think we need another way. Huh? To be perfectly honest, we need another way. So what might that way be? Maybe, instead of thinking about what's coming out of my mouth, I ought to think what's coming out of here and out of here. And, frankly, out of here, out of the eyes. In other words, how do I look at you? How do I see you? What do you mean to me? You see? If, you, if I view you differently than just another person, like in this case, what does that guy mean to her? Who knows? Or, you know, maybe. Or, in Dilbert's case, his boss, all he's trying to do is get something out of him. And is that the way we view other people, that they are commodities, something to be taken advantage of? Or do we need to have another attitude in our hearts regarding our fellow human being which allows that which comes out of our mouth to truly be a blessing when I finally open it? That I can speak the truth in love, in real love. Maybe that's the answer. So, I want to... uh, See if this thing is going to work for me now. There's a different concept about the tongue in Judaism. This one's called Shimrash Halashon, which literally means guarding of the tongue. It means guarding our tongue. And this comes from Chofet Chaim, and it tells us that Shimrash Halashon is an expression of the unity of the Jewish people. Seeing the good in others stems from seeing their common bond as Jews created in the Lord's image. Being sensitive to the feelings of others arises from recognizing each Jew as part of oneself. You see, this is, what, this is what's going to make the change. When we start thinking differently about our fellow man. You see, instead of seeing them as some kind of commodity or something to be used someone to be taken advantage of, or something like that, we see each person as having a unique kind of value. And that unique value, that understanding of our brothers and our sisters, gives rise to the speech 
that we have, that the interaction of speech that we have with one another. In other words, who cares what you look like, what your physical, physical attributes may be? Who cares? What do they have to do with what kind of human being you are? That has nothing to do with it. Why should I comment on that? What does it matter? We have to start looking at each other in this way rather than, listen, to be perfectly honest with you, I need something I got to get out of you, so I'm going to tell you something you, I think you need to hear. Right? If we can do that, then we can begin to look at each other in a different way. There's a portion from Ephesians chapter 4. If you have a Bible, you can turn it. I don't think I, don't think I put it up there on the screen. In chapter 4 of the letter of Ephesians, Paul is talking about this new community that has developed in the, among the Ephesians who have come into this understanding of their relationship with God and with the Jewish people and with one another and how they are now to relate to each other in a completely different way. A way that's completely different than, than they used to know. And he says, as a result, we're no longer to be children tossed here and there by waves carried about by every wind of doctrine, by the trickery of men, by craftiness and deceitful scheming. But speaking the truth in love, we are to grow up in all aspects into him who is the head, even Messiah, from whom the whole body being fitted and held together by what every joint supplies, according to the proper working of each individual part, causes the growth of the body for the building of up of itself together in love. You know what that means? Let me unpack that just a little bit for you. It means that I begin my relationship with every human being recognizing, one, that they are made in the image of God just like me. That, two, everyone in the kingdom of God has tremendous value. And that I must do my very best to look at that person from that perspective. That they have value. And my job, as, to, as a fellow, fellow human being, not as a rabbi or anybody like that, as a fellow human being, is to bring out the very best in them, to see the very best in them, and to encourage the very best in them. And that's going to direct my speech toward them. You understand? I'm going to speak the truth in love. But my truth is that you're a marvelous human being made in the image of God, worthy of my respect, and let me tell you this, to build you up. To look for a way, not to sit there and say, you know, well, you didn't play that note perfectly. What you need to do is play like this. No. There are other ways for us to engage with each other, to speak the truth to each other. See, Messiah Yeshua demands that we tell the truth. I agree with that. But, that, but how does the truth not wind up hurting some people? It depends on how you look at it. If I see that person, and you know, they don't look the way I want them to look, and I want them to look the way I want them to look, is it my responsibility to tell them, you don't look the way I want you to look, so look like this? 
Or is it my responsibility to learn to appreciate precisely who that person is and how they fit into the kingdom of heaven and encourage that in them? Hey man, you play like that? Good. Let's see how we can use that to all of our advantage. Is this your talent? Let's see how that can be used for the good of all. Right? If we learn how to use that kind of speech, then we won't ever have to say the words, let me be perfectly honest with you. You know, we can go back to our friend. If I could ever get back there. There he is. Right? Then we won't have to say, as you have no respect for me as a human being because you're not willing to tell me the truth, that I'll know that what you're saying to me is the truth all the time. And it's a truth that will help me to become someone better than I am. And hopefully what I say will make you someone better than you are. This is the kind of speech. So let's be perfectly honest with one another, shall we?